I was baptized when I was 10 um, in this little bitty country church. You know, my whole family was there. I didn't, I didn't feel a change. I was just following the steps that I was told to follow. It was, you know, okay, you go to church, you were saved, you get baptized. That's just what you do. I felt empty. I felt like I was worshiping and attaching and clinging to things on this earth that didn't, I wasn't supposed to attach to. March was when the Bridge Columbia launched and I walked in not knowing anything except for that God put the bridge in my life for a reason. And walking in that day completely changed my life and God met me. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting in the third row um, in the auditorium on the left by myself and we started singing The Lion and the Lamb. And it was like, who can stop God? No one can stop God from finding you. I sat in that chair and I lost it. And I just, I felt my soul and my heart change right there. And it was just one of those things where, okay, my heart has changed. So it's time to show the world that I've changed, that I love God and my life is for Him. So that's when I called Brian and we had the conversation. And then in May, I showed everyone how much God actually means to me now. It's my time to show everyone that, that I'm not the same Madison that I was, you know, a year ago. That, you know, when I come up from the water, I'm a completely different person. Come on, man, let's give it up for Madison. That's right, man. Dude, uh, so cool. Madison's down at our Columbia campus, and uh, man, God has just radically changed her life. And uh, man, we want to help you take that same step. And so, man, I, I just want to really emphasize that. So next week, all our services, it's, at work, it's not Baptism Sunday, it's a baptism party. That's what we're doing next week. So uh, next week um, is Baptism Sunday. It's going to be the largest one we've ever had. And uh, man, I want to just say a word, just encourage you to take the step um, that so many people in our church need to take. And you heard Madison say, uh, man, this is something that I've decided. I want to show the world uh, what God means to me now. And, uh, and there's a lot of you who like, you, your story is Madison's story. It's like, man, I was baptized when I was an infant or when I was six or seven into a, a religion. And you did it because your parents decided or you did it because you were supposed to. Um, but what we see in the Bible is that baptism isn't a declaration my parents have decided. It's not a declaration I'm supposed to. It's a declaration I have decided. And, uh, and we want to see you take that step. So um, if that's you and you're in that spot where it's like, man, I, I've never had a meaningful baptism before in my life. Uh, man, next week's your week. If you'll just grab that connect card and you'll see a spot down here under my decision today that says, I want to be baptized. Um, if you could fill that dude out and then just drop it at one of the black boxes on your way out. Um, we want to connect with you and, uh, and be able to help facilitate that next week. And if you're ever going to do it, next week is the week to do it. Um, also, just want to, uh, to celebrate this. This has blown us away a little bit. Uh, we right now, give it up for this, we already have over 40 people scheduled to be baptized next week. Come on, man. It's going to be absolutely amazing. So, uh, man, everybody's getting wet this week. A bunch of people next week, too. That's how it's going to work. Um, so, dude, let's do this. Well, hey, Bridge Fam, if you got your Bibles, open to, up to uh, 1 Samuel 18. Um, 1 Samuel 18. And real quick, while you're turning there, let me give you a heads up. Here in about 30 seconds, you're going to need a pen or a pencil. So you got homework right now. Here in about 30 seconds, go ahead and rummage, get that purse out, reach for that thing in the seat in front of you. Here in about 30 seconds, you're going to need a pen or a pencil. And what we're doing today is we are in the last week of a series that we've just been calling On the Rocks. 
And where this comes from is the Bible teaches that the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. And that relationships are like the conduit that the Spirit of God flows through for life change uh, in our lives. And so each week of these series, um, I don't care that it's cheesy. I just want you to remember it. What we've been doing is we've been taking one of those central relationships um, to our lives and then looking at like, how do we get that relationship from being on the rocks to established on the rock, okay? So week one, we hit uh, marriage. Week uh, two, last week, we hit uh, parenting and childing. And it was a really emotional week last week. Uh, this week, we're hitting a, uh, a, a, a relationship that is often neglected, a relationship that <clears throat> usually <clears throat> is an afterthought um, for, hang on, <clears throat> I got some in my throat at a bad time, <clears throat> is an afterthought, especially for Americans, and, uh, but determines really the course and trajectory of your entire life. Uh, the relationship we're looking at today is, is friendship, the relationship of friendship. So here's what we did last week. Last week, you confessed your own junk. This week, I need you to confess the junk of your friends. So little, little mass public others confession really quick. Uh, if you could do this, help me out. Raise your hand if you have the friend, we're going to call them the always late friend. It's the friend that you tell them it's going to start at 7.30, knowing you'll see them at 8. That kind of, everybody have that friend? I saw a lot of people raised with violence. You had that, that's right, that kind of thing. Um, does anybody have the, uh, ever, nah, never mind, I won't say that. Uh, what about this? Does anybody have the, uh, the, I call them the laughs at their own jokes friend? In their mind, they are the funniest person in the world, and they're a lot of fun to be around. There's usually, that's usually my favorite friend. The person that like, here's how you know you got that friend. Um, that, that's the person who has RBF, that's resting blessed face. That's what that is, okay? That's the person who's got that. Uh, all right, do this, number three. Uh, raise your hand if you have the marathon fitness friend. They're always talking about the thing they're doing, the CrossFit, the race they just ran. That's right, the weights they're lifting. And here's how you know, by the way, how can you tell if one of your friends has run a marathon? Don't worry, they'll tell you. That's right, that's always gonna, so you know you got that friend. And then uh, last one, uh, if you just have one person in your group of friends, they're like, man, they're the weird one. We keep them around just because, you know, they're, they're a bit of the weird one. A lot of you are like, that's me. That's me. So here's, here's how you know. Do this. Uh, I read a poll recently that one in three people are weird. So look to your left. Look to your left. Look to your right. Look to your right. Now, if one of them didn't look weird, it's you. That's who it is, okay? So that's it. And, and what you find out is that when you look around is that Everybody in your friend group, including you, is the something person. Everybody's got something about them that's like, man, it just kind of throws it off or something weird about them. And there's something about the friendship that can make it hard. Okay, now I want to talk about that today. So here's how I want to start. And we did this about two years ago. But if you were here, I need you to do it again because we're going to do something different with it today. Okay, I'm going to give you 30 seconds and you got a pop quiz. I'm going to give you 30 seconds and I want you to write down right now the names of your five closest friends, okay? Right now, five closest friends, go. 30 seconds, go. We got, there we go, music for you right there. Be thinking, come on, come on, get it down. I'm watching to see who's writing. Sir, third row, left side, Columbia campus. You're not writing, okay, that's it. Get it. It's, hard, it's harder than you'd think, isn't it? Five closest friends, it's harder than you'd think. Couple seconds, pencils down here in a second, finish it out. Bum, bum. Okay, that was harder than you thought, wasn't it? Right? Now, here's what's really interesting, okay? Now, look at the list, look at the list. Here's what's interesting. 
you probably had two people on that list that immediately it was like, boom, I know exactly who to write down. And then right after the two, you went, man, I don't know who to write to get to five. Here's what's so interesting. Um, Studies show that right now in America, the average American has two close friends. Here's why that's really interesting. Just 25 years ago, the average American had no less than six close friends on average. So in just the last 25 years, the amount of friendship that takes place in our country has been cut down to a third. Now that is a huge crisis because when we get into the Bible, what you're going to see is the theology of the Bible is that the trajectory of your life is determined by the trajectory of your friendships, whether you know it or not, whether you'd acknowledge it or not, okay? So I I want us to see this in the Bible. So if you got your Bibles, 1 Samuel 18, little context, the passage we're getting ready to look at, um, there was a king named Saul. Uh, Saul was king over Israel. The passage we're getting ready to read is right after a guy named David, who was a shepherd, killed a giant named Goliath. Now, that wasn't a big problem until right after that, a bunch of people in Israel, they started making up a song about David. And here's what they started singing. They started singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And from that point on, Saul became very jealous and insecure about David. Now, to amplify that even farther, uh, God had come to David and given him an anointing or a commissioning, letting him know that he would eventually become the king in Israel, okay? So you got a little thing going on. Saul is the king. David has been anointed to become the king. And then to complicate matters further, Saul's son, Jonathan, develops a relationship with David, Now watch this, the passage we're getting ready to read is Bible scholars call it a paradigmatic friendship in the Bible, a passage that's designed to show us what friendship is supposed to look like. Now now watch this, here here we go, 1 Samuel 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that's David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. So these two souls started to feel like one soul. That's one description of friendship. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Talking about David. Now watch this. Then Jonathan, this is really important to remember this, made a covenant. If you're going to circle something, circle something right there. He made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Again, a description of friendship. And Jonathan stripped himself. If you're going to circle something, circle that. That's important. Coming back. Of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So he strips all that off. Now, now what in the world is going on there? I'm coming back to that. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war, okay? Now, um, guys, a lot going on here. Let me give you a quick theology of friendship over the whole Bible and then zoom into this passage. And there's a pattern we see in the Bible. Here's a pattern we see in the Bible. The trajectory of your life is determined by the trajectory of your friendship. So much so that the Bible teaches from beginning to end that friendships are central to God's design in your life. Now, right now, you Bible scholars, if you're kind of going, man, where is that in the Bible? Uh, Let me give you a couple examples. So in Genesis chapter one, do you guys remember the Bible says that God, quote, walked with Adam in the cool of the garden. Okay, we don't see this in English, but in ancient Hebrew, for somebody to walk with someone, that was an idiom that meant that that person was a friend to that person. So the whole story of the Bible begins with a friendship between God and Adam. I'll give you another one. Fast forward to Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus begins his ministry. What's the first thing Jesus does? He gathers around himself 12 friends. And among those 12, 
he has three that are his inner circle that he shows every aspect of his life to. Um, I'll give you another one. Here in this passage, whenever God commissions David to a great calling, he pairs him with a friend named Jonathan. And I'll give you one last one. Have you guys ever remembered in Genesis chapter one again, when God creates, the pattern of Genesis one is creation and declaration, creation and declaration. God creates, and then he declares that what he created was good. So he creates, you know, the sun, declares it was good. Creates the moon, declares it's good. Creates plants, they're good. Creates people, they're good. But then God creates one thing that Genesis 1 says was not good. He created Adam, and when he saw that Adam was alone, the Bible says God said, that's not good. Now, Bible scholars, trivia question. How could God look at something that he created and he say, that's not good, okay? Well, let me help you understand this. The Bible teaches that God, for all of eternity, watch this, has existed in a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one essence. So for all of eternity, God has existed in a friendship, and the Bible teaches that we are created in the image of God, and that means that you were created for friendship. So let me give you a little theological math problem. So the reason Adam alone was not good, here's why. Adam was alone and Adam was like God and God was not alone. So Adam alone was not good. So I want you to think about this. I've never thought about this before this week. Think about this. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. The reason Adam was lonely in Genesis 1 was because he was perfect. Do you realize this? The only problem you have in your life because you are created in the image of God is loneliness. Every other problem in your life arises because of some imperfection in creation. Loneliness is the only problem you have because you are created in the image of God. Okay, now, some of you hear this uh, to this point, and you're going, wait, objection, Josh. Not me. I'm a high introvert. I like to stay at home and work on my cars and play with my cats, which means you're really weird. And so this is what, now, what I would say to that is, man, if you're a person who's like, man, I'm a high introvert. I don't need friends. That's for other, other people. Here's all that means. It just means you're not very much like God. You may right now be at a spot in your life where you'd say something like, man, Josh, I'm too busy for friends. I'm too busy for friendship. Then you're too busy because the Bible teaches that you were literally made for friendship. Now, this is one of these things that uh, is not just, it doesn't just arise out of theology. It's actually like born out by sociology, okay? Um, I ran across a couple of really fascinating things this week studying for the sermon. So this is really interesting. A couple of years ago, uh, the University of Virginia, they studied 34 students at the University of West Virginia. And here's what they did, they did in this experiment. They set the students at the bottom of a really steep hill and then they gave them a weighted backpack and they told the students to walk up the hill with a weighted backpack. Some of the students walked up the hill alone and some of the students they allowed to walk up the hill with a friend. At the end of them walking up the hill, they asked them to rate or estimate the steepness of the hill. Now here's what's really interesting. In 34 out of 34 cases, the students that walked alone rated the steepness of the hill as higher or harder than the students who walked with a friend rated the steepness of the hill. Now, if that's not interesting enough, here's what's even more interesting. In 34 out of 34 cases, the closer the friends were that walked up the hill together, the less steep the hill seemed. 
Now, that's really interesting. Do you know, here's what the Bible teaches in the book of Ecclesiastes, that when you have friends, your friendships, watch this, double life's joys and half life's hardships. That's just what friendships do. That when something great happens, your friends double that joy because two, two people are celebrating and not one. And when something really hard happens, it halves the hardship because two people are carrying it, not one. You see, you were designed for friendship. I'll give you another one. Okay, I got three little examples. I'm rapid firing these. Um, a lot of people don't realize this. Research, researchers say that the single greatest factor in determining the quality of your marriage is the quality of your friendship in the marriage. Now, here's what the research says for wives, okay? Research shows that whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is 70% dependent upon the quality of the friendship in the marriage, 70%. Now, some of the dudes here are like, oh, I'm different, you know, not me. Uh, You know, women are wired for intimacy and men are wired for sex. We'll be different, okay? Well, here's what the research says. The research says that whether husbands feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is... 70% dependent on the quality of a couple's friendship. Now, watch this. We tend to think of marriage as romance with a little friendship spiced in. Actually, the Bible and human experience teach the opposite, that a good, healthy marriage is actually a friendship with a little romance spiced in. We might say it like this. It turns out that the best marriages really are friends with benefits. That's what we find out, okay? So we can kind of redeem that language. That's, that's what the Bible teaches. I'll give you one last one, okay? And I could, listen, I could do this all day. I've been a pastor for 10 years. You see me writing that down. That was a great little... <clears throat> I've been a pastor for 10 years here at the bridge. Before that, I was a pastor for three years. I've stood by the deathbed of three people in that time, and I've heard stories of, of countless others. I, I just want you to think about this. Guess what nobody says at their deathbed? At their deathbed, nobody says, bring me my stuff. Guess what everybody says at their deathbed? Bring me the people that I love. The reason for that is is you were made for friendship and the quality of your life will always be determined by the quality of your friendships. Now watch this. Let let me just say this and then move on. Some of you, you're getting a little older and, and right now you'd look at your life and if you're honest, you'd say, man, I'm in a season of my life where like my net worth has gone up, but my net happiness has gone down. Can I explain why that's happened to you? It's probably because you've shifted your time and emotional investment away from your friendships and simply into your career. And what you have to understand is the Bible teaches because of how you were made that the quality of your life is going to be determined by the quality of your friendships. Now, here's my problem, okay? My problem in talking about this is in our culture, we increasingly don't even know what a friendship really is. Okay, so look down at this passage and I want to I want to show you this in the passage. It gives us a, a definition. Let me start by. So let me give you a definition and then show, show it to you in the passage. So definition of friendship, right? Definition of biblical friendship. A friend is someone who accepts a digital request on Facebook and exists to like, comment and share all of your posts as often as you publish a status update. Is that a friend? Right. All right but honestly, that's how a lot of us function. It's like, oh, that person's my friend. Okay, it's not what a friend is. Let me help us understand what a friend is. Did you guys notice two things in this passage? When David and Jonathan entered into their friendship, they did two things that don't make much sense to us. One, it says that they made a covenant with one another. And the other, and this may have sounded really weird to you, it says that they stripped off their robe and their armor in front of one another. What in the world does that mean? Okay, What it's showing us is that there are two qualities of a friendship 
And every friendship has both qualities. You do not have a friendship with someone unless that relationship is marked by both of these qualities, not just one. Here are the qualities, commitment and vulnerability. That's what makes a friendship, commitment and vulnerability. Now, let me just kind of show this to you in the passage. So commitment, let me just say this briefly. When the passage says that David made a covenant with Jonathan, a covenant is a Bible word for a contract or an agreement. In other words, uh, in other words, Jonathan was saying, I'm in, like I'm contractual. Me and you are a thing. I'm committed to you. Now, just to show you how high the commitment was, you, you may not have picked up on this earlier. Remember, Jonathan's father, Saul, is the king. David is the one who's been called to replace Saul as king. So think about this. Guess who is the heir to the throne in this situation? Jonathan. When Jonathan enters into this covenant with David, watch this. He was saying to David, my relationship with you is worth more to me than the throne. I would rather keep my relationship with you and lose the throne than get the throne and lose my relationship with you. A friendship is a relationship of commitment, okay? Just because I'm a dude, let me give my favorite example here. You guys remember the greatest movie ever made, Tombstone? You remember that movie? Okay. Uh, There is one spot in that movie. All week, I was like, I got to find a better illustration. It's my favorite one, so I'm doing it, okay? You guys remember in that movie, there's a spot where Wyatt Earp, at the end of the movie, he's got like a hit out on his head by this bandit, this group of bandits, the cowboys. And all of Wyatt Earp's friends, they ride out in this glorious posse, you know, to protect him. And at the end of the movie, it's all Wyatt Earp's friends, they get in this gunfight and they all survive. And then there's one of Wyatt Earp's friends, Doc Holliday. He's there, he's got lung cancer and he's like, coughing up blood, he's about to die. There's this one spot in the movie where somebody looks at Doc Holliday coughing up blood after a gunfight. And he says, heck doc, except he didn't say heck. He said, heck doc, you don't have to be out here. And Doc Holliday looks right back at him and he says, yes, I do. Because Wyatt Earp is my friend. See, friendship is a relationship of commitment. And you guys know this? You guys know that's how Jesus revealed himself to us. You remember, a lot of people, you in this room, you may have experienced Jesus as Lord. You may have experienced Jesus as Savior. You might even know Jesus as your advocate. Do you know Jesus said that he was your friend? He said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he said, I call you my friends. Do you guys realize that it was friendship that kept Jesus on the cross? That when Jesus went to the cross, he looked at you and he said, you are my friend and you are in need. And I refuse to abandon you in your greatest hour of need. And so he willingly went to a cross because he was your friend. Friendship is a relationship of commitment. Now watch this. This is the one that we do not do. We do this terrible in our culture. Friendship is a relationship of vulnerability. You guys notice, so I I talked to you about this. It's kind of weird where it says that when they became friends, that Jonathan stripped off his kingly robe. He stripped off his armor before David. What in the world is going on there? Well, think about this for a second. Whenever a warrior takes off his armor, what he's doing is he's revealing his weaknesses. He's making himself vulnerable. That is always what happens in friendship. Friendship, in its very essence, is comprised of vulnerability, okay? Now, uh, let me show you something about this. Let me show you something about yourself you may not know. Um, Because a lot of us think we're doing friendship when we're, we're actually not doing friendship at all. And it's killing us. What you may not know about yourself is that there are four aspects of your life that are always going on. And unless you get to one of these aspects of your life, you are not experiencing a friendship. You're not doing friendship, okay? So here's how this works, four aspects of your life. 
Number one, there's the, I'm just going to call it the arena you. This is the part of me, watch this, that I know about and that you know about. So some of you guys on your way in today, you were fighting and screaming in your minivan all the way in. And then you walked in and a greeter said, how you doing? And you said, oh man, praise the Lord. God's good all the time. All the time's God good. Bless the Lord. Right? That, that kind of thing. That's the arena you. That's the part of you that you want other people to see. Okay? Now, can we all just acknowledge something? There's a lot more to us than the arena us. A whole lot more. Because behind the arena you, there's, I'm just going to call it, it's the, it's the mask you. And this, watch this, your mask, the mask you, that's the part of me that I know about that you don't know about. That, that's, that's the mask part of you. Now, this part of us, the amount of time that we spend doing, doing the mask thing has increased like crazy uh, since the birth of social media. I mean, like crazy. This is what we do all the time is we project a mask. Everything's going awesome. I'm awesome all the time. I'm really happy. I'm a very spiritual person, you know, snap, you know, little uh, Snapchat, you know, Bible verse and cup of coffee and you know, that kind of thing. That, that's what we do. Um, here's what this is. Okay. This is when the wife on a, uh, on a Saturday says to her husband, Hey, let's all go out for a picnic today. And the husband says, Oh man, that sounds like hell. Not that I would ever do that. That's a, another theoretical couple. And then the wife kind of drags her husband out, you know, to the park and she's mad he didn't want to go and he's mad he had to go. And he gets out there, he spends half the day, you know, checking email on his phone and it's too hot and they got to take 27 pictures and scream at their kids to get one where the kids are actually smiling. And then you post it to Facebook and what does the caption say? Heartwarming day at the park with my loved ones, right? And it's like, come on, man. Like what's, I'm seeing a lot of this happen right now. And that what that is, is that's the mask us. But watch this, behind the mask is what's really going on in our lives. What's, what's behind the mask is, is our secrets. Now watch this, we've all got secrets. I've got secrets. You've got secrets. But if you're the only one who knows your secrets, you're in real big trouble. That, what does David say in the Bible? What he says is, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. As long as I kept something a secret and didn't say anything about it to a trusted friend, it's as if I was rotting away on the inside. And here's what you're going to find out your entire life. You are only as sick as your secrets. All of your life, you're going to find out that you're only as sick as your secrets. In fact, watch this. The Hebrew word for friendship is the same as the Hebrew word for secret. It's the word sowed. Do you know what a friend is? A friend is a person that you let into the secret places of your life. And if you're not doing that, then you're not doing friendship. Now, can, can I just acknowledge something really quick? There's a reason that we don't do this. The reason that we tend not to do this is everybody in this room, everybody that's watching, every, everybody, we believe the lie that if I expose my weaknesses, it will repel people instead of compelling people. It's a total lie. Actually, the exact opposite is true. Um, can, can, I, can I prove this to you really quick? Let me, let me prove this to you with you, okay? So ladies, let me ask you a question to our ladies in the room. When you meet a girl who has everything totally put together, she always looks beautiful, her outfit is, outfit is always on point, the makeup is never off, her kids seem always to behave just perfectly, she seems to have no insecurities, she's always happy and confident, nothing's ever going wrong, you know, everything's always awesome, she's very spiritual. What do you think about that girl? Here's what you think. You think, I hate her. That's what you think, right? Whenever you see all the strengths, you just think, I hate that girl. 
But then when you get to know that exact same girl and you find out that she's full of raging insecurities and that she struggles with all the same fears that you have and that she's full of the same guilt that you have about, man, am I being a good enough mom, a good enough husband or a good enough wife? Different sermon. Am I doing, you know, am I, am I being, am I doing all these things? When you find out she has that stuff, guess what you start to think? You start to think, wow, I really like her. Now, now watch this. Do you realize this? When you share your weaknesses with people, what they don't say is, you did. What they say is, me too. Me too. That's what always happens. In fact, watch this. Here's what the Bible, Bible teaches. You may impress people with your strengths, but we connect to people with our weaknesses. That is always true. You may impress people with your strengths, you will connect to people with your weaknesses. So the only time that you really do friendship is when you take off the mask and you let people in on what's really going on. Now, two other spots of your life, and I'm gonna tie them all together in friendship here in just a second. Here's a third spot in your life, and, and this is your blind spot. And that's the part of my life, watch this, that you know about that I don't know about. You know, this is when somebody walks up to you and says, hey, bro, your breath stinks, right? It's like, man, they know, and you don't know, hey man, you got spiritual broccoli in your teeth, okay? Now, now here's how this works. What the, here's, uh, this is the book of Proverbs. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Do you know what a friend is? A friend is somebody who will talk to you about your blind spots. That's what a friend does, okay? Now, last one, and here, here's a fourth, and this is the most exciting part of your life. Fourth part of your life is it's your potential, Okay, this is the part of me that I don't know about and you don't know about it either. Only God knows, but you can only discover your potential in the context of friendships. That's the Bible teaches. Think about this. What does Proverbs say? It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or one woman sharpens another. There is no way to reach your God-given potential outside of the context of friendships. Now, let me tie all of this together really quick. Here's what the Bible teaches about a friend, okay? In friendship, watch this, you can take off the mask, people talk to you about your blind spots, and they help you reach your potential. That's what a friend is. You take off the mask, they talk to you about your blind spots, and they help you reach your potential. Now, Some of you are confused. Why am I saying that in a friendship, that's the only place that you can begin to reach your potential? Why am I saying that? Well, here's why. Because the Bible doesn't just teach that you were made for friendship. The Bible actually teaches that friendship makes you. That you, you, watch this. You are a product more than anything else in your life of your friendships. Now, don't believe me if you're skeptical of that. Um, can I just point something out to you in this passage and then, and then show you something else? Think about this. When God commissioned David to a great calling, he did not in that moment send him an opportunity. He did not send him a new position. He did not send him new wealth. He sent him a friend. That's what God sent David to help him accomplish his calling. God will do the same for you. Okay, uh, the, the Bible says it like this. Now, I'm getting ready to read you a proverb. Here's what you got to know. The book of Proverbs was written by a guy named Solomon, who was David's son. A lot of Bible scholars think that Proverbs is Solomon writing down 
the wisdom that David passed on to his son Solomon. Here's what Solomon says. Okay, watch this. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, let me summarize that for you for a second. What that passage is saying is this. It's saying, you show me your friends and I will show you your future. You show me your friends and I will show you your future. Let me say it another way. Your friends are the future you. You are always becoming whatever your friends are. Now, some of you are here right now. Let me apply this to you. Some of you are here and you are in a season of your life where God is doing a new work. He's filling you with his spirit. You're taking new steps. You're becoming a new person and you're just not seeing the change happen in your life that you're expecting to. And here's what you're saying. You're saying things like this, but Josh, I'm reading the right books. Guys, the right books cannot overcome the wrong friends. Some of you hear you say, man, Josh, but I'm going to the right church. The right church cannot overcome the wrong friends. Uh, let me say one that may be a little uncomfortable for me. Some of you are like, Josh, I'm listening to all your sermons on the podcast every day when I drive into work on my commute. I'm listening to all your sermons. Guys, sermons do not affect your life anything to the degree that friends do. Let me prove this to you. If I were to ask you right now to name the last 10 sermons you heard, Zero people in this room, including dadgum me, could name the last 10 sermons that I preached. But if I were to ask you to name 10 people who changed your life, good or bad, you could do it without even thinking. Why? Because your friends are the future you. You show me your friends, and I will show you your future. And everyone in this room, you have something in your life that you want to become. You want to become a better boss, you want to become a better dad. You want to become a better husband. You want to become a better Christian. What if that decision wasn't a decision about what book to read, what podcast to listen to, what discipline to develop? What if more than anything else, that was a decision of who you chose to do your life with? That's what this passage is saying. Now, this brings me back to that list we made at the beginning of this sermon. So can you do this? What the Bible teaches is that you are always becoming, I'm going to say it like this, you are always becoming an average of your five closest friends. Always. So can you grab that list you made at the beginning of this message? Grab that guy and pull that out. And I want you to look at that list really quick. And let me show you something about your life. Here's what you're going to notice when you look at that list. You are becoming an average of the five names that you wrote down at the beginning of this message. And so let me just say something kind of blunt. If you were drunk or you were high last night, odds are really good, and let's not act like that didn't happen. Odds are really good that somebody else on that list was drunk or they were high last night. If right now your marriage is falling apart, look down at that list. And odds are really good that somebody else on that list Their marriage is falling apart too. If you are making terrible meltdown decisions in your life, look at that list. And what you're going to find is there's probably, chances are, somebody else on that list who's doing that same thing. But watch this. Watch this. God can redeem that. Watch this. But if you are in a season right now where your life is changing and you are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, 
And you're experiencing the grace and the mercy of Christ like you never have before. And you are seeing visibly yourself being transformed from this degree of glory to this degree of glory. And you're chasing after God with your whole heart. Look down at that list. And there is probably somebody else on that list that is chasing after God with their whole heart. And right now, listen, right now, some of you are in this season where, I, man, I'm just saying, I'm your pastor. I love you. Is it, man, if you were just to look at that list and think about your future, that list as it sits, here's what's in your future. What's in your future is addictions that you do not currently have, a divorce that you do not currently want, a dead faith that you never believed could happen to you. But listen, if you're in a season where right now you're saying, God, I need a new marriage, or God, I need a new heart, or God, I I need you to give me a new life, watch this. All you are is maybe one friendship away. If you can change that list, you change your future. One friend away. And Jesus did not just die to make you a son of God, but brothers and sisters with the body of Christ. You don't just need the word of God, you need the people of God. Man, some of you are here today and what you need to do is for the first time in your entire life is to press in to relationships of commitment and vulnerability with other brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that you never had before. And if you change that, you'll change your future. And I want to pray that that might happen today. So will you guys let me pray with you? And Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for being the friend that stuck closer than a brother. Thank you so much for being the brother that was born for adversity. Thank you so much that you loved us so much that you, in effect, said, I would rather die on a cross than forsake my friend. Thank you for your friendship. You have never left us and you have never forsaken us. And Father, I pray that right now that the friendship of Jesus would wash over hearts in this room. God, I pray that we might be stirred and moved to press into relationships with brothers and sisters in a way that we never have before so that we can become people that we have never been before, transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for our children, uh, the children of families at the bridge. And I pray that they might be surrounded with friends from a young age that know and love Christ so that they can grow in good soil to know and love Christ as they grow. So God, bless that. Bless it for your glory. We love you. We ask that as a spiritual family, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen and amen. Amen.